Hello, hello, and welcome to In Kind. I'm social scientist Julie Crowner. I've spent my life interviewing thousands of people, and now I'm on a mission to scale global empathy. On In Kind, guests release something they've held inside for years, and then I synthesize and give you tools and resources to start moving emotional blockages in your own life. I know firsthand the healing power of release. It's changed my life, and the hope is that it changes yours. You're in the third row trying to blend in. She walks on stage and your hearts skip the same beat. The lights dim, the monologue begins. You sweat through the minute that feels like a month and it's over. Have you ever had that moment of watching your child or anyone you love confront something for the first time? Her first theater performance, walking into a new school, running out on the court or raising his hand. It's as visceral for you as it is for that person. We have towering and tiny experiences of being a beginner most days. And in every one of them, there's work to be done before, during, and after it. Firsts are really easy targets to talk about because we all remember how hard it is to do something for the first time, whether it is you or someone you're observing and you're the spectator. But being a beginner is so much more pervasive than just firsts. And it's important to be aware of when it's happening to us, because as we age, especially, we go way out of our way, typically, to avoid this feeling. It's so squirmy, we do anything to eradicate it from the human experience. And I'm going to talk about the enormous value of being a beginner, how it can serve us, why it's number one in my mantra menagerie, and how it can help you in your self-empathy practice. And I want to say thanks to all of you who answered my feedback call. I threw five mantras out to the listener world and asked you which you'd want to hear more about from a self and other empathy perspective. And being a beginner won by a long shot. So here we are. I love hearing what's of value to you. So let's get into it. Thought one, beginner mindset is one of the best places to practice your self-talk. So think of the last time that you were a beginner, not just the big things, the big moments, but the seemingly tiny experiences too. So you learned a new dance for your wedding, or you're speaking up at a meeting at your new job. You're showing someone else your first piece of writing or art or fill in that that creative blank there, whatever kind of creative endeavor. If you can't think of one of your own right away, think of the last time you saw someone do something that clearly they were not an expert at. Our ability to empathize works even with total strangers. So that moment, um, this is why shows like The Voice work, uh, that moment when we've just heard the story, like the backstory of a guy who's always wanted to be a singer and the most people he's ever sung in front of was his mom and his cat. And he walks out on the stage in front of John Legend and Blake Shelton and you can hear a pin drop. There might be 3,000 miles between you and that studio where this is happening, and of course it's not live, but Hollywood does its magic, and the point is that you can feel every ounce of their fear. It's an extremely contagious type of fear. I'll give you an example from, from my life. I was taking a Lindy Hop class a while back, complete beginner, and if you aren't familiar with what Lindy Hop is, it's a type of swing dance, so you're thinking, you know, partners and speed and jumps and crazy moves, but 
the scariest thing about it is that it's improvisational. So you have to move and sense what your lead is doing and follow in that moment if you're a follower, which I am in uh, that partnership. So I both love and hate that aspect because in every single dance, you're a beginner every single time. And anyway, they gifted us beginners a drop-in class to a solo class. And I saw another woman from my class there. And as we were waiting to go in, we were chatting and she kind of looked a little scared. And I asked, hey, are you excited about this? And because somewhere in my mind, solo jazz felt or sounded easier and more fun and kind of carried less opportunity than I'm going to mess up like I do in the couples class all the time. And she said, yeah, I'm actually a little nervous. And I said, why? Have you heard something? And she said, yeah, I heard this one is, this one's legit. It's like the hardest class that they offer, but that's how I know I have to do it. It was one of those moments, those kind of imprinting nuggets that stuck with me. There are those people out there. Maybe you know them. Maybe you're one of them who lives by that philosophy of if it scares me, those are the things, the very things that get the pass go. And I really, I admire the hell out of those kind of people because I will analyze or deliberate or ruminate and do anything to put the brakes on something that scares me, mostly in the realm of physical risk and adventure, where my quotient is on the, <laughs> the more protective side. So self-talk is really important in these situations. This person in my class, her mental chatter is, if it scares me, I will do it. Seeing it through the lens of self-empathy when you're a beginner and heading toward fear is a very evolved way to be. And in her case, she knew it would be fun and exhilarating and that she'd grow on the other side of that. In fact, the solo classes ended up being the best accelerators to the couples dancing, who knew? But it's because you're honing your, your trust and confidence in yourself as a dancer so that when you come to that couples uh, partnership, you already have a pretty deep well of trust in yourself. You know, sure, there are extremes where you can call it a thrill seeker type of person or even recklessness, of course. But here's the thing. They might not be thinking of personal growth at the time, but they are thinking of how alive they feel. And that's key. All of this is, I'm gonna get to it in point three, but all of this makes you feel so alive. I was operating in that circumstance on lack of information, which can also be a beautiful thing when heading into new territory. You do the thing because you had no idea it was coming and you may feel amazing afterward. I know that the only reason I became someone who loves roller coasters is because my brother tricked me into staying with him in line at Great America when I was nine. He said, oh, you can't leave the line because I have to watch you. And then all of a sudden I'm up at the part where, you know, suddenly you're single file in the line and it goes so fast and you're being ushered into a cart on a track. And I didn't have time to bow out. And I love them to this day. But would I have done that? Would my risk and adventure self have done that if I knew that I had the choice? No. So with self-talk and beginner's mindset, one of the easiest ways to start making it helpful, not hurtful, is to think of what you'd say to a child or someone you loved before they did something brave. So what would you say in the moment right before they go up to the balance beam or um, they're gonna run their first cross-country race when you know it really isn't their thing. It's like, they're not that great at it, but here they are doing it, they're showing up. 
or they're auditioning for a musical, or they're asking someone out, or they're sending their work to publishers, or they just got bangs, (laughs) whatever the thing is, what kinds of things would you say? What kind of look would you have on your face? I hope it's one for anybody who has kids where you know you'd never walk up to them and say, oh my God, you're such an idiot for doing this. This is going to be a disaster. And the, the look on your face is equal to that, to those words. Yet we're totally fine 90% of the time, that's what I would wager, doing exactly that to ourselves before, during, and especially after our beginner stints. If they didn't go well, which of course they don't all the time. So this is really a massive area to be mined and tapped for personal work. It's not easy, but catching yourself in that self-talk would be so constructive to even take a moment to get curious about the thing that you're doing. Are you looking at this experience as data? For example, you're going to be 1% better at speaking in front of a group this time than you were last time. Or you can think of it as, I'm going to aim for imperfection and it can only go up from here. You can think of it as fun. Either way it goes, I'm going to have fun doing it. It's a little more rare, free-spirited, but that's on the table. So you need to find what language works for you and in what context. You might use all three of those philosophies depending on the situation. Your first day at a new job, you're probably a little bit better at it than the last time you did it. There will likely be some fun aspects. And no one is expecting perfection today, so why should you? Whatever the method, I can promise that the self-talk will be critical to your willingness, your attitude, and definitely your performance on whatever beginner task you're doing. If you go into speaking in front of a crowd telling yourself, this is going to be humiliating, everyone here knows I'm scared, versus imagining what your best friend might say to you, which is, look, you're about to go tell people something that they really need to hear, and it's of value to them. And if they see that you're nervous, they just see that you're human. They need your information and you just need to be real. That's what they want. They don't want practiced you. They want the real you. Go for it. So we're pretty bad at this overall. If you think about uh, how you talk to yourself, it's easy for our nerves in terms of helping someone else be a beginner. Our nerves can exacerbate theirs. It's very contagious. It it works the same way with the, the voice in our head. It's the same process going on. All right, thought two, stop shooting all over yourself. This is an amazing phrase that I learned from my coach and I love it. So we can think of firsts as humps, hurdles, diving boards, and they're often only step one which is why learning a supportive self-talk vernacular continues to be so important. And in the Lindy Hop example, this is the type of experience that keeps on giving. Most are. It takes a long time not to feel like the bumbling idiot in the room. Sometimes it doesn't seem to help that everybody feels like that. You feel like you're the only one. So you got to keep choosing the fuck-ups and the, (laughs) the fun over the humility, and that's not easy. But there are also really consequential cases of beginner's mindset. Raising a child with a terminal illness or a chronic debilitating disease, learning to walk or speak again after an accident, dealing with discrimination. So when being a beginner is the evolutionary gift that keeps on giving and you want to scream enough already, does this ever get any easier? One of the key pieces of self-talk that can help in all of these situations is eradicating should from your vocabulary. If you're already a parent, 
you might be quick to think, I should already know how to do this. I have another child. But you don't because this child is not your other child. Or you might say, I'm strong or I'm smart or I have these skills, which could all be true in different contexts. But for this context, it's new. And that means we need to be on guard for hurtful self-talk because I promise it's going to get to the door first. It's always harder to conjure the helpful language. Today, I'm aiming to be 1% better than yesterday. Or today, I'm going to remember how grateful I am to have this child in my life. It's like shaking ourselves to get out of our default state, which is hurtful or negative for many of us. Negativity bias is unfortunately a natural perspective that takes a lot of work to get out of, but it's possible. And if we can let go of being an expert and lean into the experience we've been given, even when it's hard or unpleasant or we didn't choose it, I promise that good will emerge from it. Maybe not immediately, but how many times have you had a retrospective conversation with yourself and said, you know, not only was that thing not so bad, but it was fun or I learned a ton or it put me in the path of this great next thing. We can use some of the life experience in those hard moments to help us through. One of my Bible books is uh, by Susan Jeffers. She's uh, passed away, but um, the book is called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And she says that underneath all types of fear, and I think she has three types of fear, five, can't quite remember, but um, underneath them all is the ultimate fear that you will not be able to handle something. And fundamentally, she says all fear comes from lack of self-confidence, lack of trust. One of the key pieces of advice in this book is to change your self-talk. She doesn't call it that, but it's the, it's the concept. She says, instead of saying to yourself, I can't handle it, you just switch it to, I will handle it. She then, of course, follows with the nuts and bolts of how you get to that powerful perspective, things like flipping the victim mindset and making what she calls no-lose decisions. Like, no decision really, really is a loss. You will always get something from it. But I highly suggest you pick it up. It's one of those life skills books that you and your kids can read. It's simple to understand. It's easy to put in practice. One of the quotes that always sticks in my mind when I'm frozen in beginner's mindset and fear, and I'm sitting in that fear and it's like immobilizing me, goes something like, every time you encounter something that forces you to handle it, your self-esteem is raised. So you learn to trust that you will survive no matter what happens. Thought three, the exhilarating side of fear. When we struggle through something we never thought we could or would do, or it becomes bestowed upon us and we have to do it in the moment, after we get through it, whether it worked out or not, once we can get to the other side of that, think about yourself. How often have you felt insanely exhilarated? It's because that feeling of aliveness is the same for exhilaration and fear. Physiologically, many of the same hormones are firing and our hearts are beating fast and our palms are still sweaty. Same things are going on. So our system doesn't know in the moment, are we excited butterflies or are these terrified butterflies? And the only real difference that I can see between excitement and fear is choice. So if we choose to put ourselves in a beginner mindset situation, say it's skydiving. Yes, there's fear, but the scale is probably tipped more to the excitement end by the time you're in the plane. 
On the other hand, if we're asked to stand up suddenly at a work meeting with 200 people in the room and all eyes are on you and you they ask you, hey, what? Uh, can you talk about your department's goals and objectives? It's fear central. But the stuff that's happening in your brain, our hypothalamus is functioning the same way and it's trying to quickly assess fight or flight here. Uh, I've just wondered a lot about, is there possibly a third option? So if we can only pause for the few seconds it takes to find it in our brains, we might come up with one. You know, outside of this ambush work situation I just mentioned, when we're moving forward on something that we really want, like creating a business or learning a language or an instrument, becoming more socially confident, a lot of these are beginner moments that need many, many, many trials and practice sessions to start feeling less intimidating to us. And if we can picture the moment when we're in the situation, imagining the pitch, the conversation with a native Dutch person, the party, and use our self-talk, we can move the needle a bit from fear to excitement. You're really attempting to be brave and courageous. I mean, Hollywood, take that for example, Hollywood would literally be broke if we didn't have an utter fascination with being a beginner. It's like we can't get enough of it. We want the window into other people doing this, the first date, uh, experiencing grief or loss, or the ultimate anxiety-provoking act of being alone at a conference, and you're about to walk up to a group of three and break into that conversation. It's like, even just saying it now, I can feel it. It's like, oh, it seems like it never gets easier. So how hard do we root for an underdog? That's a beginner. Those are beginner stories. They pull hard at the heart and we love them because they're ubiquitous and we all struggle with it. And bearing witness to it in someone else is how you know why it matters so much. When you're the observer, you can see the terror and the fear. And and if it doesn't go well, oftentimes we don't see the growth. The person walks off the stage and we don't see what happens next. But when it's us, we get to know what happens next. And we have say in what happens next. So in some cases, yes, of course we say, you know what, that's the first and last time I'm doing that. Or we can engage our helpful self-talk and say, okay, that did not go well, but that's trial number one or three or 22 or 47. And the next one will be different. In what way? We can't say right now, but it'll be different and it'll be informative and we will grow. And I can think of so many things that I've done that I thought this is the one and only time I'm going to be forced to try this thing. And I ended up loving it. Lindy Hop was one of them to come full circle. Uh, It happened because my good friend had been trying to get me to go dancing with her for a decade. And it was only after she moved to the other end of the country, the other coast, and I hadn't seen her in a few years when she was visiting. And she kind of sheepishly said, will you take a dance lesson with me? She did not need the lesson. She's been an expert for years. In fact, she was teaching it by that point. I finally said yes, and I instantly loved it. I'm still a beginner, and I still feel the fear every time I go, but now the scale is tipping toward the excitement end because I'm chipping away at the fear end of that continuum, and I talk to myself a lot about it. So back to jumping out of a plane, I mean, that might be one example of a one and done for you, but if you are trying to publish a book. You need that self-talk to keep you going when you get that 10th or 30th 
no thanks. And those that's just the price you're going to have to pay to be a beginner to get to that one quality yes. A lot of beginner scenarios are repetitive acts of prostration. Athletes know this. Musicians, artists of almost every kind are intimately aware of this. My uncle was a fine artist, an oil painter, known for his beautiful skies. And I have many paintings in my house, huge ones, the size of a whole wall. And he painted them on plywood, these big boards, and they were mounted on almost a two-inch frame. So they stick out from the wall a bit. And I've never framed them because they look so nice sort of floating on the wall just the way they are. But you can look at the side of these paintings. And sometimes I catch a glimpse coming down the stairs and I see the layers of what had come before what's on the canvas now. Layers and layers of paint that I know used to be the subject because I had witnessed him in his studio painting over a couple of the pieces that I now own and cherish. And of course, he was always tweaking and never felt like a given piece was finished. I think that's common among artists. But he'd also started completely over sometimes. I don't know what his self-talk was. Was it belligerent or was it refreshing? My guess is it wasn't very praising. In these moments when we have an opportunity to choose something other than flight, even if we abandon the painting, the task, or the practice, or whatever it is we're doing, we can do some work for our next approach to tell ourselves that this is natural. Practice and iteration is the process. It's what chips away at fear. And it may not feel good when we approach the canvas the next time, but we can say to ourselves, even if this ends in a revision, this work is progressing. I may make this blank again. And there's eloquence and excitement in that. So to summarize, being a beginner is one of the best places to practice helpful self-talk. When we stop shooting all over ourselves, we make room for that better self-talk. And the other side of fear is exhilaration. So the next time you're a beginner, which is likely going to be very soon, I hope you approach it as a blank canvas. As trust and confidence builds, we may even look forward to standing in front of that canvas and letting it inspire us. It's a hard-earned mindset, but we can get there. Thanks for the request of this topic, and thanks for listening. Hey, one more thing before you go. If you or someone you know is ready to let go of something, let's make it happen. Set up an introductory call with me at inkind.buzzsprout. That's B-U-Z-Z-Sprout.com. To listen, just search for Inkind on your favorite podcast player.